Yeah. Um, oh, the one thing I found really interesting was this um, kind of because they, they address the displacement really. Unlike the the ones outside, but for me, one thing that they said was um, in the very beginning, actually, I think, or no, is it somewhere in the middle on page seventy three? They start being afraid that the person with the key could actually be living inside their own building, so that the person trying to like trying to enter is actually way closer so it's not just like how they openly say that it is that it's the ones outside versus inside but also like the close ones that makes sense yeah yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing just also reflects on, yeah, Israeli society nowadays with the Palestinians living there. Mm -hmm. Just this whole view of, I mean, they, the Palestinians living in Israel are a threat, but not as much as the refugees or the ones that are out, like outside of the Green Line, in a sense. But for me, yeah, it was the ending that, that I guess hit the most, just this... Yeah, just like Yara said, this whole symbolism and just I can see quickly now there is no lock left where will the intruder put his key. It's almost like this whole right of return has killed itself with, yeah, and the mentions <laughs> with, with the ghetto. I don't know who it was, but I think it was Benjamin Disraeli who also said once that by, the, by establishing the state of Israel, the Jews are technically putting themselves in a ghetto once again, surrounded by Arab countries mm. and kind of trapped. So I don't know if that was a reference to that, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know, did you generally like the story? From like, out of the stories in the book? I, I thought it was, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, I did, I think, I just like the concept of the gravity wall, I, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just this reference to the ghetto, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because I think it was the only story from an Israeli, com from a completely Israeli perspective. Um, and I think it really highlights the paranoia very well. Like, I mean, the way they shoot guns at the door. So, like you mentioned, mm. you know, literally killing this this right of return. You know, the key is such a threat. Like, a mere symbol is such a threat to them um, yeah, more than anything else. And I thought that was well conveyed. And um, you know, and even though they think they're liberal and they think they have these ideas. I mean, it's clear that they're so, so locked by their panic, in a sense. Um, and I mean, like, it's, it's almost ironic. I mean, um, like, um, taking out the lock leaves your door open, right? So you're not, yeah. you're not secure anymore. So it's, I thought the ending was quite, 
funny almost, you know, like you're you're making all this fuss about being secure and putting up CCTV and then you're basically leaving your door open, <laughs> you know, like it just yeah. shows a sort yeah. of hypocrisy or, or whatever irony of this. Mm -hmm. I think for me, one of the most interesting, like I saw it very differently because the thing I saw was that they basically just start destroying their own like living space more and more and more because they're so afraid and it's the only thing that makes sense to them is like destroying their like shooting at their door basically without even checking if anyone is there because they don't know if they're shooting at anyone but they'd rather destroy their door than actually like check what it is and it made it like i don't know yeah that's true that's another another point yeah yeah but i thought that was a good one um yeah it was just it yeah it feels like they would rather destroy everything than the possibility of someone being able to like use the key that was meant for that home you know they would rather just demolish it all and i think yeah i think I agree with Yara on the sense of, um, yeah, it really highlights the um, paranoia that that I feel like Israelis feel in a sense, and, and almost this guilt in a weird way that they're just kind of being eaten at, um, and they can't, it just hits all of them eventually, and I think the child, I think it makes sense with the child at the beginning, because it's like, this child can see what's happening is wrong, mm -hmm. and I feel like they're the first one to really kind of connect with that issue, and then it slowly works its way up. But also as a child, you're very... Intuitive, right? Yes, but also I was thinking the other way, you're very ready to believe in stories of monsters and evil. Mm. And then for me, that was more like the child from all the stories that I'd heard, believing like something was there, like the thing about the monster under the bed that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And that, like, I mean, that's not the child's fault because the child is already told that there is a threat, like, there is mm -hmm. this generally threatening thing outside of the walls, then of course there will be like tales of, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Did any of you read anything by the author before? No. No. No, neither. Okay, I'll check what his bio actually is. Um, okay. So he wrote, I think he mostly wrote nonfiction so far. But yeah, and he lives outside also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Should we go to Digital Nation? Mm -hmm. so I think I'll just say it was my favorite. Digital Nation? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, should we sum it up or is everyone still like in the story? Could you give maybe a couple words? Was that with the um, Olympics? No, the digital nation is the one 
where it's about this um, um, Shabak director. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. and they're starting to deal with the hackers, and then more yeah. and more technology yeah. and like startup nation is switched to Arabic, and the like the maps are reprogrammed and everything. Oh yeah. So they kind of put their own state like on top of the state that was put on top of theirs. So, yeah. Yeah, they make like this parallel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for the but summary. It's, it's also it's also coming from this place that's already beyond what we have now. So it's not like thinking from the now that this is happening, but it says that they had to make do with a, a series of fragmented banana republics, as they put it. So, yeah. Yeah, so basically, I mean, what they do is they, they put a layer on top of the map. Um, and use, I think, use what the others actually had at their advantage, which is, yeah. Yeah, it was very interesting because I think it was one of the, like one of the only stories that were very utopian as well, or just had this general happy ending. Yeah which you don't usually see because most of them are either fifth hangers or but this one was very clear like independence day 2048 and mm -hmm. it had like this yeah this happy ending if you want to call it that yeah yeah plus what i thought was very interesting that generally games and virtual realities and all of this also had a way bigger role. Wait, this is actually super long. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, wait, where is it? Okay, I don't want to switch to the ending yet. Mm. Oh, one thing about the, like, uh, Yara, last time we had a lot of things about the language because the terms that they use are very interesting mm -hmm. in, the, in the stories also. And then one thing that I saw, what was it, also uh, in the new book, the Book of Disappearance, because it's from so many perspectives, like the different terms that people use depending on on the point they come from to describe, for example, the West Bank, so that, for example, the Israeli main character makes such a big fuss about him calling it the West Bank instead of uh, Judea and Samaria. Mm -hmm. And then here also the, um, here's a, there's a perspective from an expat Israeli that when like he was driving and he just, looks at the occupied hills but it's both like like it's not in capital so it's not even a term anymore but it's just the description of the hills but the hills are nameless basically mm -hmm. and then like it all turns arabic with gps and whatnot yeah 
I'm actually interested in the point of view of um, what you mentioned last time on the first story, this right to, to digital return mm -hmm. and how that also relates to nation. I mean, yeah. yeah. I think that one is, it's generally so interesting because like it's, it's an advantage point that they have that everything is digital, but there are so many, so many other ways to undermine that basically to, to, to like create your own games or here, like they go through a list of the games actually that the people made up. Um, and I think mostly the person that's here, like the Shabak director, he's from our generation, basically. Because that one, like, he says um, that his idea of a modern video game was Fortnite. Mm -hmm. So that, it, yeah. yeah. Actually, that's where I got to the point where I found this Israeli-Palestinian conflict game. Mm -hmm. Because I like, I was really thinking about it, and I was like, did anyone actually come up with something like that? So yeah, yeah, actually, it's like this virtual game on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which, yeah, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. surprised it's not even more popular. But <laughs> what is it called? Actually, I have to check. Peacemaker. I think I have. I, I yes, didn't even. Peacemaker. Peacemaker game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's very, I think, like that would be the, the pro of these, these points, for example, where they really create this as a reality because they're also, they're so complex. So for me, for example, on the phone, I don't have the patience to go through so many texts on my phone all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so that really is the pro, I think, that in this they go through all of, what could happen if we create it as a as a virtual reality because then people live in it and it doesn't seem like like complexity with a lot of text but they actually like they live it sort of yeah and it also like it here this one um they go through a lot of the history, I think. So it brings you like the old, old crafts back with like, there's this game in here that's called the Horticulturalist um, and has this idea of the Palestinian kibbutzim instead of the, like the regular kibbutzim. So, yeah. I think Cupid's Bride is my favorite one. <laughs> where they reverse Cupid's Bride, where they reverse the um, gender roles and men are like forced to parade. And <laughs> that, that was yeah, it's on page 18. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, the prettiest bride. <laughs> oh, but it, it really is interesting because it goes so far. But wait, Imad, is a male name only or is it like neutral and both could have it. I think it's a male name, but I can check the authors real quick. Yeah. Because right. I think that really makes it 
it makes it very interesting who comes up with these ideas. Mm. Also, speaking of names, like I think the the Shabaka is called Shomer, or at least his last name is. And Shomer, mm -hmm. I think in Hebrew means to guard, like to guard tradition. Mm -hmm. So he's there to guard, um, you know, the he's there to protect the the Israeli digital and to to preserve it. So I thought it was interesting that he chose those names. I, I don't correct me if I'm wrong if anyone speaks Hebrew, but I think it's mm -hmm. called Guardian Hebrew. Yeah, I met as a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I oh, yeah, Shomer, and there he is. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually so Imad. I think that one is very interesting from what they what they say also on gender roles and like how far they go sometimes. Um, I mean, even if it's if it's like in the future and everything, because this author was also not born in Palestine, but in the UK, actually. Mm -hmm. so, um, I think what something that was very yeah, which was it? Yeah. Because like this one questions like even within these within these games, a lot of the stuff that even even within like Palestinian society is still often accepted, I think, like for example, like the male inheritance that that men inherit more. Mm -hmm. um, then yeah so maybe that would be interesting to like compare um how far the authors go in criticism also of the of the palestinian society mm -hmm. and where they come from because a lot of them don't actually weren't actually born in palestine i think there's one that was particularly striking i forgot the name of the um the short story i think it, oh vengeance yeah that's the one where he mm -hmm. goes um out of his way to take vengeance on this guy and i think that's i mean we're not there yet but i think that is highly critical of um palestinian rivalry and yeah I yeah i think it's fused like a lot of these stories have have critical points on them mm -hmm. um, uh, but I feel like you can also tell that it's written from abroad, almost like it's written yeah. from someone who's not living or wasn't, I don't know, not living there, wasn't born there. I feel like sometimes you can, you can tell. I mean, there's who's Ahmed Masoud because I'm checking out the authors. Like he also, he grew up in Palestine. Rawan Yari is also Gaza-based. Yeah, right. Masoud is the one of application 39. I think that one's so obvious that the person really lived there. Mm -hmm. Application 39. Application oh, 39 yeah. okay. is the one with the Olympic Games yeah, Olympic. where everything is fractured and in the beginning they're mad, then they see they can use it, and then in the end <laughs> it ends. It's basically like the Great March of Return, I think it was. Like for yeah. me, that was what I read into it. Um, yeah. And I think that one, because it doesn't really end very, it's not a very happy ending at all. No. Yeah. 
Oh, and then the bloodbath. I mean, they just start shooting everyone. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, not even people. It's just robots shooting, like drones shooting at people. Exactly. That was the thing that I found was very interesting. Like first that they had the tunnels, but also that it was robots shooting, and one of them actually used one of the robots because it shows you that like the yeah, robots if they're with the dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The drone dog. Yeah, I I mixed that up with Vengeance. That's why I thought that was which, Vengeance. Which one was Vengeance? Vengeance was the one with the masks, because you mentioned. Yeah. 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 I thought that was also intriguing. Okay. I think the one with the mask. That one. I mean, it's very interesting now also to have a story about masks. I think one more thing actually on the story um, was that they're very critical. What, what did it say here? What, was it this page? Um, this kind of modernization that they did. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, it was like okay. environmental friendly and solar panels on the mosques and the religious. Yeah, exactly. So that it went back to the past but also modernized and they're also having sorry uh having grown up abroad really goes through like this one and the taxman still of the games um that you can ex like establish your own state and he describes like simultaneously meet the west patronizing criteria for a functioning democracy and then also show that it has the firepower needed to defend itself should the West fail to be satisfied. So it's kind of like this this dichotomy that de developing nations have between, on the one hand, like meeting the expectations and on the other, um, being prepared should there be like consequences when they don't meet the expectation. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because I feel like most, a lot of nations are in that sort of predicament, right? Like they need to reach all these standards for, you know, loans or whatever it is. Mm. Um, and also for trade and whatnot. And then... <clears throat> yeah, for trade. But also with the loan, often like the consequence of the loan being that they have to give like to give up their own power to a certain degree. Yeah. 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 And, and cut back on, you know, social, like all these like structural adjustment programs from the World Bank in the, I think it was 80s and 90s. And all these countries had to cut back on their social, you know, social spending because you basically have to, you know, cut your spending in order to get those loans. So mm. that was a huge like failure. And I mean, they still, it still happens. I mean, if you look at Jordan, for example, they they live on loans from the U.S. from the World Bank, and mm. have to make huge cuts. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting that you phrase it as a sort of uh, like dichotomy. Like it is on the one hand, you have to um, be approved almost by these like Western nations in order to 
mm. approved for a certain way of development, right? They see that as that's the way you have to develop because that's how the West develops, and therefore that's the only way. And then um, trying to also use that with their traditions. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know. They thought these are really like not not at all coherent thoughts, but I thought it was. No, like, no, no. I think I think it's like it is it is coherent but i think one of the points that they that the author was mentioning was like being being ready when they're not satisfied because i think it shows that they're really aware that when you don't actually when you try to pull out of this like development game basically there are there are consequences even if you say that you don't want it anymore that it's not really an option all the time so that then like in the game they try to build up um i don't know if it's resilience really or more of their own how do you say like their own strategy to fight back yeah i don't know i think a big a big thing in this one was hope like i mean it's also it's one of the more I wouldn't even say optimistic because it's so like so unreal for now mm. that they have this this part on like directly the next page where where the Shabak director I think it still is describes the Palestinian people and it's just like smiling healthy happy but never content like expecting the best never taking no for an answer, always hoping for a brighter future. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, also actually it's the only thing I kind of highlighted this sentence on page 81, just hope was contagious, hope was calculating and calculatable. So Which one hope was? Like the last paragraph, page eighty-one. Sorry, I don't have pages on my online version. Is it the last page? Okay. No, not the last page. Oh, it's actually more of a when one, two, three, four, like oh, yeah. fifth page. Oh okay. Um, sadly, guys, I have to leave early today, but um, I will meet with you guys next time. Okay, see you soon. Bye. Bye. I think here because it says like where it says that it was calculating and calculatable. That was the one part that I didn't highlight. Like I highlighted the part before and after actually uh, about it being contagious yep. and about the utopia because of what he observes from himself, like the words he uses. And yeah. I don't know, I think because if there is this utopic vision or the hope that it's easier to go with it. Yeah. I think what Yada, what was it that Shomer meant meant like protector of history or culture? It, no, it it has more of a religious attribute. It's like a guardian of tradition. I think. Like I don't know. I'm I'm not I don't yeah. No, I just thought it was interesting that they used the... Wait one second. What's name? Oh, yeah.
it says here, it's a Jewish legal guardian entrusted with the custody and care of another's object. Oh, okay. That's very interesting, like being, like basically being the custodian of some, some other object. Because I mean, in the context of, of being on this land, it, yeah, mm, it's interesting choice for a name. But he also, what I noticed is that he often explains um, the history of, of Arabic words or the meaning to the others. So he's not mm -hmm. just the custodian for one thing, but for other, like for Arabic things as well, like that he protects the knowledge, but it's not wanted. Yeah. Exactly, because one is like, it's the contrast, I think, of utopia, and then you always see how they, how they compare the, <coughs> the Arab population, basically, and their way of dealing with things. And then like the, that Shomer himself has like metal wire um, in and around like trays on his desk here and everything is analog. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of utopia because you're so stuck in this like paranoia of protecting yourself against anything, like any possible danger. One thing I liked really was that they hear that something completely alien was coming from the speakers and that it was rap, like Arabic rap. <laughs> That, that was like the threatening thing they put. Yeah, also in the school, I mean, when all the white girls started turning in Arabic and stuff like that, they were, the kids were really scared, you know, merely the yeah. language is like really foreign and scary to them. Which, I mean, it is like, a lot of Israelis associate Arabic with fear. Mm. Just generally, uh, Arabs are more prone to yell. I <laughs> so many stereotypes. Yeah. This whole, yeah. But I think that's also part of part of what <laughs> happens here when everything switches to Arabic because it's the reverse version, basically. Because all of a sudden, the like, yeah, the native Hebrew speakers also have another language that they need to deal with that's not their own. Mm -hmm. Um. So that the confusion also for like younger kids or like this confusion of like where you stand transfers onto other people. Yeah. Wait, I wanted to see more from the, what happens with the, oh yeah, yeah, with the driver, the guy who was listening to Arabic rap all of a sudden, um, but just recognized it as rap. And then he just decides it's okay because everyone likes rap but he recognizes it as foreign language rap only. Like he doesn't recognize the language even. Yeah, it was interesting that he, he said it. Um, I think it says, although he'd read somewhere that the farmers up there were only allowed to broadcast calls to prayer. So it's interesting that, you know, the, the language is limited to calls to prayer. It's, yeah. You know, it's gone that far that that's, that's still allowed which was surprising because i think in israel a couple of years ago they had a debate whether or not to allow the broadcasting like the you know of the speakers of prayers mm -hmm. and it was like it's, it was like a debate in the 
commissioner said whether or not to allow it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, but it's also very interesting because yeah. I mean the broad the thing about the broadcasting because of course you can still do live concerts for rap or whatever, but the broadcasting can be intercepted by other people, so it really limits how the other people could see the Palestinians. So if you only allow mm -hmm. them to broadcast calls to prayer, it will only like the image will always be this kind of like backwards people, yeah. super religious, fundamentalist, whatever. Um, and not like not part of this whole nation that they have, like this digital nation, basically. Yeah. But in the end, I mean, this driver guy is in the car and a lot of illegal migrant laborers take his car apart. And I was wondering if, if the illegal migrant laborers that he saw were Palestinians yeah. who were there or other refugees who came to Israel, for example, like, Af like yeah, African refugees, for example. Because there's, I mean, over the last few years, there's been more, mm, yeah, I don't know, more solidarity between their struggle or like also the, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations in Tel Aviv and the Palestinian struggle. Mm -hmm. So I think the fact that should they so be this what group? Page, what page um, was that on for the 86. So it's like where he talks about the GPS. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it could be both, no? It could be both um, illegal workers mm -hmm. that pass through whatever boundary there is between um, the 48 line, 67 line, or could be illegal workers from, I don't know, Bangladesh. They have lots of, lots of um, house helpers for older people mm -hmm. that come from like the Philippines, um, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. And there was, I mean, at some point they're illegal. And even though they have like, they have kids there because they stay there for a while, they're like sent back and deported basically. Yeah. So it could be, it could be that. It just really reminded me of the, um um of the live stream i think that was the one from yesterday by 972 where they were talking about the pa's agreement with israel to let the palestinian workers actually get a permit to stay for a month and not have to go back every single day but they were obliged to give them housing but they didn't because there's no actually like how are they going to force them to give them housing so they never yeah. got housing and they become homeless basically yeah it's funny how Shomer like his thoughts like I feel like the way like he mentions Gaza as inmates and detention camp and like I was I was reading the exact people. same line yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um they've become tired of picking bananas and now finding common cause with the inmates of Gaza also okay so he talks about the uh, and the stubbornness of the detention centers no no so detention camps so, I mean the detention camp, yeah, yeah. All of Gaza turned into a detention camp. But he also, he's a very complex character. Like he always said, I think at one point, like, my, I don't know if it was in this story, I think he says like, it's almost 
um, better to be abroad or something. Like he says, like, oh, I feel like I have this in the back of my mind, but I don't know the exact line. And he says, like, oh, if they only knew how bad it was here, they wouldn't bother trying to come back or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember this. Oh, maybe I'm getting worried. Where was so. that? Do you know? Uh-uh. Okay. Maybe I'm even getting stuff. Now here, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things like it that they have something. For example, it's called like like YouTube. I guess it's called Nostalgia Tube. Um. Yeah. And I think like it makes sense. It would make sense to say that because it's such a, a lot of people have such an, and I mean, I'm not going to exclude myself from that one because I think everyone who doesn't live in the place always kind of idealizes some things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing that was nice was the, the virtual government that kind of infects all of these consoles all over the world, um, where they, like the council is long dead historical figures. So they kind of pick one of these figures and sit in a cabinet and then they make, they make politics basically. Like they, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's then interesting I was... how, sorry, it's no, how no. both stories, the key talks about, you know, this chip being infected and it protects you because it, um, it traces your genealogy. So mm -hmm. you can't like make another one and get, you know, pull the system. Um, and the same way here, they talk about what you mentioned, they make this single filtering government um, and Every the game infected every console in Israel and tracked its way to every player whose medical records showed Levantine blood dated to 1948, including Jewish and Christian players, of course. Sorry, I don't have the page number. But it's but not only exactly because it's not just the ones, the consoles um, in Israel, but it's also, I mean, the one, the other one. In the States, Florida. Exactly. He's San in San Fran like he's in San Francisco. So I was like, like for myself, I was thinking like, how, how is it notified? Because for example, like I don't have an ID, I'm not on the record there. So like who, how do they get all of the data from all over the world? Because not everyone is listed anywhere. So there's a well, lot of people. Yeah, but I guess this is why they said with medical records show 11 blood. So it's like, mm. Yeah. Well, I guess it's only in Israel, but yeah. it's interesting yeah. how, how all these stories go back to sort of genealogy and like blood and like, yeah, it's very, also very, it has a very nationalistic ring as well, though. Building my. I'm just <laughs> noting this down. <laughs> the blood and genealogy. Like this biological theme sort of, you know, like you are, you belong somewhere if you have certain biology or whatever. 
yeah certain gene pool but also i think for me what i was thinking because i mean a lot of a lot of people in latin america don't see themselves as white um but it's still like argentina it's also they're all colonial countries also like the us is a colonial country so then this whole thing about like where you come from it's so many mixes because like in israel people come from all over the place yep. and come together and then a test like that kind of makes sense when you try to figure out what parts of the world you come from but when you're like from specific parts in one part of the world it won't work yeah. no just this gravity yeah wall thing like because i know it doesn't I don't know how it kind of has this, yeah, just like you said, this chip and how would they know who's allowed to enter where? Yeah. And yeah, like if it's solely religion based or, yeah, by default, then like it would be interesting to also just kind of have this, yeah, based on your DNA, you get to go to different parts of the world. Mm. Like, and yeah, you're basically abandoned everywhere else. But it's, it's also, I think they're, they're also, like, you have to see them very critically, all these, like, DNA things, when you're mixed, like, what happens yeah. when you're mixed? What do you do? Or, yeah, or one, I, yeah. but then if you have a one state, but you say that the citizens have nothing to do with each other, like, if you have one state and they all live together, at some point there has to be there has to be a kid by a Jewish and like a Muslim person. What do you do with this kid? Where do you want this kid to go? Yeah. yeah, I mean, even within like Israeli society, you see a lot of Palestinians marrying off Israelis, Jewish Israelis and what, what not. So, but uh, I had the thought, but I lost it. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, I, just when I was talking. Yeah, I forgot. I think also, exactly, like one thing is what happens when it's there, but also what happens when when they have the right to return and there's a one state and people can actually return from the diaspora. But then the like the dynamics in the different countries that they're in are so different. So like it's, yep. it's way more possible that there is a Muslim and a, a Jewish person marrying who live outside. Yep. But then if they both have the right to return, and they return, like, what are they going to do? What nationality do they get? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's very interesting that it always comes back to this, like, whoever is talking to this question, like, which state, which, you know, which solution do you support? Yeah. It's very mm -hmm. limiting. Yeah, it's very exactly. limiting, yeah. Yeah. Sadly. <laughs> Yeah, so I think the next one, if we continue, um, personal hero, we kind of discussed it, like we started discussing it last time, because mm -hmm. we mentioned I it somehow. It. Hmm? I reread it, because I was the one with a lot of confusion. Mm. Yeah, I think it became a bit clearer. Yeah. <clears throat> this was very literal, no? Very... Yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> I should have reread this. Yeah, I mean, from my 
understanding like for me it was if if it really is the literal way that it was it's um yeah it's a take i don't really understand because like reversing history is like for me such a not far-fetched but i'm not sure what good is going to come out of it if you completely reverse because nothing yeah because i mean was it really reversed or did he just yeah i don't know because i mean it was reversed at the beginning but then it goes back to the future with this um leila yeah like her the the daughter or the granddaughter of Abdul Qadir Husseini. So I mean I think it, yeah I think you also kind of gave me a clear um, idea when you said like it's very apocalyptic and just mentioning zombies because then it makes sense this coming out of like the dead mm -hmm. and trying to kind of time travel to do something write in history to rewrite history and then to go back to dying then there was once again virtual reality into this so i wasn't really sure was this yeah i mean i think real? did this happen or is it just part of a 10d virtual I think reality that's that's the 10d virtual reality where it also says this like Turing converts all data into virtual reality, which really makes you think like what's what's the value of that reality then, of the virtual reality even? If all data is turned into virtual reality, is that gonna make people happy? Because the reality is still a thing where they live. Um yeah, and then um should we wait or? i don't know yeah i mean we can wrap up i guess the thoughts and then yeah them so i think for me it was very strange because it ends with her thinking i did it mama mm -hmm. and she picks up this picture of haifa and it's like she brought back Haifa in a virtual reality. Is that like is that the peak of success in that reality to turn it into a virtual reality if everything is virtual reality? Yeah. I don't know. Because then also the virtual reality is is more like a historic film or historic picture because it's just like the past but not not a vision yeah mm -hmm. like the success thing because she ends it with i did it mama into turning the past into virtual reality so that's why i was saying um conservative side of the spectrum yeah it's very i think it's very interesting to see that this person like this guy also teaches there and everything because it kind of it fits for me, like it fits what you see in the book, that it's kind of like this very looking into the past way. Um, yeah. Mm. 
I think I marked some more things here. But generally, I just see a lot of hopelessness in a lot of these stories because most of them are virtual reality. And, yeah. And the first one, uh, Song of the Birds, Song of the Birds, yeah. Yeah, most of them were just. not real and I don't know if the point is to question mm. this reality that we currently live in or if it's the only way to just kind of imagine um, a Palestine or just a place. I think maybe it's a bit of both because I mean looking looking at the way things are now with Israel branding itself as this also like this digital nation, startup nation, all of that. I think it's part of the part of the future to imagine where it goes. Okay. Um, for the vengeance, both of you had more thoughts on vengeance, right? Because I don't think I, I liked it. <laughs> when I sorry, it was a while ago, but I, I mean, I was very happy, but I, I liked it a lot. <laughs> Mm. Let me just go there. Yeah. I thought, I mean, I thought that, you know, everyone has to wear masks now, and that literally is like their lifeline. Without yeah. this mask, like everything is controlled through this mask, right? And that it has to be exchanged, and there's like, what is it? See, like, I am. Oh, no, sorry. I'm yeah, no, I thought I, I really liked this idea mm -hmm. of everyone wearing masks, not only because the air is not breathable anymore, which is, I mean, in a hundred years from, or hundred years from the Nakba, it's like the air, our air is getting thin globally, you know, but especially, I, I feel like this was set in Gaza, right? Forget. Yeah, but yeah, I feel yeah. like. Mm. Right, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it goes back to this. Um, I, I feel like a lot of societies are very big on vengeance. And I think the Arab society, some parts of it are very big on vengeance, especially when it comes to a generational vengeance. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think this goes back to like his, his grandpa or something. It's like, a, yeah. yeah. The, Sorry, I'm just reminding myself of it. <laughs> oh, good. oh good, I think the grandfather was called here. Yusuf? No, not Yusuf. That's no, like Yahya it. Saleh, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's very also, also like this, sorry, the, the future part where there is like Habash Street and all of that. Um, and the thing, like the way places are named. Yeah, and also the way they're, I feel like in every story there's a different way to identify people. Yeah. Like in application, in the Olympics one, it's through the iris. Um, I think that is scanned, right? By the drone or something like it's, your body mm. is scanned. And I feel like here it was um, swiping, like swiping past the head or something, like by the mask. Wait. I think the mask. I don't huh? remember it. 
Yeah. The one thing I actually, yeah, the, the identification, but also the identification of who you were, like if you have any pre, like if you were previously arrested for something, uh -huh. your mask would get a different color. So generally mm -hmm. everyone would be, I mean, honestly, you could be arrested for like, you know, reckless driving. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And there's also the time span of the mask, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So basically, it also constitutes how long you're going to live. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, one thing I don't remember that because here they have one part where it's about. It says that here um, the air filtered biospheres that developed countries have so that the whole like they don't need masks in developed countries and that really made me think because I can't find it anymore that Israel have the biosphere in this like in this story. I think so. I don't know. I don't know. Do they mention it? I don't think so, actually. Yeah. I, I would assume, though. I don't know, actually. Oh, yeah. I'd say they do because they, they put the advertisements on the sky. So, like, yeah. they project it onto the sky. So that would mean that the people of Gaza and the ones living close to the wall would also see the same advertisements. Mm -hmm. And in the advertisement, children are running through like grass without masks and everything. So I guess they do have a biosphere. Yeah. What I saw more was that people suffer so much from like smaller diseases, so like or here, the ones with the, with the different limbs, where they construct limbs for like cyborgs, but like basically for people who have diabetes and who start like before, who start losing their limbs because of diabetes or um, where they have different things. Yeah. I mean, it's also, it also reminds you of a lot of Palestinians having um, amputated legs and limbs because of the march of return. And now it's, you know, as simple as not getting medication for diabetes, which is also like a weapon, you know, like medicine is, or, or withholding medicine is a weapon that is very effective. Yeah, I think exactly that. They have that. They also, what was the other thing? Mm. Oh yeah. It was so. there's just a lot of reference to, to to natural destruction. I think that's why I liked it. I mean not why I liked it, but I feel like that envisioning that in the future is is realistic because I mean without that you, you sort of undermine the, the destruction we're doing now and um it said that you know the world had um had stripped the planet of something far more valuable, its lungs, 
and the like the global temperature was four degrees higher than average than two decades earlier. So they're very mm -hmm. specific about the sort of destruction of nature, not only in Gaza but globally, and how that. Yeah, and what you mentioned, you know, that richer richer countries can shield themselves, and poorer countries can't even or, or can't even afford medicine. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I think. That's what I, I liked about the story, that it really took in the environment as, as a factor. Yeah. I mean, all stories do that, but this one I thought was, it was well done. I just read one thing that kind of reminds me of, of like the situation we have now with Corona, um, where I think that is actually the guy he sold out. Um, and they come to him, like the army comes to him and deactivates his mask so that obviously he will die. And it really reminded me of the ventilators because they can control like who gets the ventilator and even let's suppose like someone in the prisons gets like gets infected and needs a ventilator. It's fully in their control if that person gets a ventilator and if they find out something or even want to pressure the person to to give information it's so easy to turn out the ventilator and really let this person die yeah where was this i also just on a side note because mask is really prominent right now with corona and that you can't see emotions really through the mask. Like you can only see the eyes. And he mentions this when he sees the young girl with the amputated prosthetic arm that, you know, even through the mask, he could see the girl's cheeks and like he could make out that she was laughing. Um, yeah. So I just thought it's very fitting to today's time. Yeah. They had one part on page 115 that really reminded me, sadly, of like also of the Holocaust when they had, um, like when a lot of disabled people were killed because mm -hmm. their life was not worth yeah. it. it was like too, it cost too much for the would cost too much for the state to sustain these people's lives, and yeah. Yeah, and you didn't see them as productive part of society exactly, or whatever. Exactly. And also I think the the GDR also let people with disabilities leave, like they wouldn't hinder them as much as other people because they had no kind of value as a working working person for the state. So here it says that the daughter was sentenced to deactivation. So it's basically the death sentence at the age of two because she had a heart disease that put her on a high cost list so it's kind of like this this ranking of human life and who's worth sustaining mm -hmm. yeah. yeah but it's so i think so much of it is so relevant now mm -hmm. um Because here it also says that in the end, Ahmed starts like putting down his own ideas and he wants to create these products, but locally sourced and make them more available. And it's like such a reminder 
and what happens when everyone is cut off. Mm -hmm. That you have to be like self self sustaining in a way. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, the mom. Oh, I forgot the mom's condition, but she had hepatitis C, which is also you know you get vaccinated with that at the age of what five. Like it's not it's not a lethal disease anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it goes back to what you were saying, Shiro. Isn't it? Isn't it waterborne hepatitis C? I'm not sure. Actually, I think I have no idea. I think yeah. Wow, we have a lot of stories left. Oh. Getting <laughs> 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 Okay, yeah. So, application 39. Uh, I think application 39, like even besides the bureaucratic aspects in it. Um, That's a good one. <laughs> it's, it's such a good one. But also the way the author describes, I mean, Ahmed Masoud was also born in the West Bank and grew up there, I think. Um, and the way he just describes the way people sit together and the way they act is, I think, for me, it's so close to reality that it's just like such a detailed description of what the argila ring looks like and that he pokes his finger like <laughs> through the rings. Yeah. 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 It's very interesting that there, that because he's already speaking of the collapse of the Oslo Accord and the, 2025 invasions, which is, I mean, basically, you can, you can just count down the years now and see what happens. <laughs> oh my god, that's so scary. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about the, the way the story unfolds? I'm actually pretty confused, like, because it's been a while, but... Mm -hmm. Just because for me, application 39 just starts off with this funny, like these funny scenes of two guys wanting to host the Olympics. Mm -hmm. But then there's this cyborg dog and um, it gets very, I mean, obviously, um, yeah, very political. And then I'm just looking at the end right now because I, I forgot. Um, yeah, and I mean, the end is a massacre, right? So they mm -hmm. tried to protest, I mean, oh. I forgot who this guy was, um, the leader, what was his name? Mahmoud? Mm-hmm. I forgot his name. Who was, who, what was his name again? Mr. Hamoud. Um, isn't that one Is of them? Ismail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Hamoud was the president, right? Yeah. Oh. yeah. I think he starts, you know, to go against um how they want to march wait why are they at the end why are they walking well because it was forbidden or something i forgot why there were no i think the march for peace is actually march of unity oh right that's, right that's yeah. the the dangerous part yeah yeah that yeah. they tried you know everyone got involved and everyone said yes we'll march during that day yeah okay i remember now yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. That was, that was it. Okay. And I think one I of the Gazan, one of the Gazan city-states actually, um, like, Rafa. yes. 
Rafa said like no, like was against it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Rafa tried to team with the Israeli army for the invasion. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is what's really interesting about this chapter is that it, it also highlights the rivalry between the, the city-states and the civil. I think they even mentioned that they had like civil wars before with yeah. the rivalry states and so. Uh, um yeah i mean it's a very depressing thought but i mean it's also a realistic somewhat realistic one if there were to be separate states or whatever you want to call it yeah i think one part that really interested me was the way they described our man because then <laughs> i mean he comes out of the tunnel and he's so confused and there is a different term that's not actually the term that's used because he separates already in his mind the Palestinians and the Palestinian refugees but instead of calling them like Palestinian refugees as the full description he just calls them the Palrefs which makes them like a completely different thing yeah which I mean it's also the reality because I, I talked to some some friends of yeah. mine there who really dislike the Syrians for leaving Syria and yeah. say that they were like that they left um yeah i mean it's also like such a struggle but a lot of them yeah were from palestine yeah i want to just add on that because they, they say like he was so stunned that he saw like advertising gadgets of israelis jordanians and pal laughing and joking so he yeah. really like the normalization between Jordan and I guess other neighboring countries with Israel like really took full full effect where there's travel, open travel, open, you know, they sitting together. It's like a Yeah, yeah whereas the Palestinians have to get visas from to go from one city state to the other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like living side by side and even accepting shekels in Jordan, like yeah this is literally like a normalized economic zone as well which it i mean it already is somewhat by like you know importing gas and all that but still like now it's like official yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. i don't know i think this one is also it's very funny in the way that it's so much about law and it like it mocks all these regulations in my eyes because it's just yeah so much on how how the bureaucracy is like so overdone just to mm -hmm. seem more organized to the point where it hurts everyone that it's supposed to benefit mm -hmm. yeah he's also really young actually well not i mean he's 39 i think just checked here the author or mm -hmm. yeah. yeah also it just says he grew up in palestine and does a lot of the theater which makes sense because a lot of this is very theatrical <laughs> um, and like like with the other things also that a lot of this is on on data like the president can just send a message to all of the citizens 
um, and access their data and access their phones. Uh, yeah. And in the what end, it says. Hmm? Oh, no? Go ahead. No, no. I was going no, to go I, to the I, end. Okay, just, uh, I guess before we go there, I thought it was interesting all the different ways they're trying to create space for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, you know, go out into the sea, create more tunnels, um, and how they perfected that. And yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a nice sort of image. But also not go out further into the sea than they're allowed to. Yeah. yeah. No, I was I was thinking about the end after the massacre. Um, that there's this headline that the International Criminal Court would conduct an investigation. And oh, yeah. basically then just the Olympic Committee would hold a meeting, an emergency meeting, to determine whether to go ahead, to go ahead with the games and find another location or not go ahead with it. Yeah, which I think is kind of like this absurd note on which it ends because then everything that happens after such a massacre is that they think about conducting an investigation and then think about how their own life can continue. Yeah, it, it trivializes the whole thing, right? We've been reading it from the inside the whole time, and we mm. see the pain and we experience, and then you know, from the outside, it's like, oh, it's just another, another blood bath in the in the Middle East, and let's see if we will actually mm. um, conduct an investigation. So it, it brings back like this outside view of like, oh, this is you know, not not relevant to the world. Even though it is, Yanni, it is the Olympic Games and everything, but it's like, oh, well, this was sort of to be expected and we should just, like, find another another place. Yeah. So. No, I was just thinking about, yeah, the Olympics now, now actually. And, yeah, just with the whole pandemic and I know it was also a big topic at some point just changing the uh, programming the and yeah yeah because I also on the on the corona watch there's this big headline where it's just a list of all the sports events that were cancelled because of corona and people are just mm -hmm. crying about their festivals being cancelled and it's I don't know yeah yeah I mean it's also an interesting note what you said about yeah, the, it's just another bloodbath in the Middle East, I think, because I relate to that so much, um, especially like when I work with Palestine um, for university. And I'm always re reminded how irrelevant what it is that I um, just care about, I guess, to to the audience is. So yeah. like European audience, so yeah. Yeah, because it's also, I mean, I get the same thing in university because I keep, at some point, I just pause and I think, does it even, does anyone even care? Because I'm just talking about this like every single time. Yeah. And then and then you start to feel like you're just repeating yourself at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's it's a horrible feeling but like yeah it's just it's a lot of labor as well this whole unlearning and why yeah how do you make people care about something actually that mm. doesn't directly affect them yeah. i mean the only thing that's um affecting them is that they don't know where the olympics olympics are being held right so yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's what they care about, the Olympics being held, not, not yeah, the yeah. fact that there was a bloodbath. Well, yeah, yeah. because, I mean, in, in their eyes, the ICC will take care of that. So yeah, which is also such a fallacy, just talking to Nora Arakat, you know, like, it just brings it back to, like, the yeah. international law is only what, what you make it, you know, and yeah. it's not being ratified by so many and just, like, I think Germany is one of the people who don't want Israel to go to the ICC because they say like if if it's not with Israel, Israel doesn't Israel says that, you know, Palestine is not a state and therefore a state cannot be brought to the a non state cannot be brought to the ICC. Like it's all this stupid law what, talk. What Germany said I think was worse because I mean we know this position by, by Israel that Palestine is not a state, but what Germany said is that would make the ruling of the ICC political. Hmm. Yeah, I read the same and I was like, hmm, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Should we, I think we have two stories left. Should we wrap them up? Really? We have the association. Oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) we have more. Which one? The association, commonplace. Um, oh God, I forgot what commonplace is. I completely forgot. Wait, I think I didn't even read the last one. What's the no commonplace I read? Is that the last one? No, and then there is the second to last one. That's sorry. Oh God, the last one was I so forgot. long. Final warning, and then there is the curse of the mudball kid. Okay, I. I, I and read one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> What's yeah. commonplace? I mean, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay, wait, should we do the the association? I think. Okay, I think this is a super theoretical topic. Anyways, like without the book, even they're just. What I also forgot, like the association. The association is the story where a guy keeps trying to find out about this murdered historian because it doesn't seem right to him. So he keeps asking uh, and asking, but they even murdered their own historians uh, because they, they yes. agreed on a common history. So even the Palestinians don't want their historians to bring up all these painful memories anymore because there is like a history that was agreed on and things and terminology that you cannot use anymore, basically, and things you don't talk about to guarantee peace. So the yeah, I remember this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm just skimming through the story so we could um try and finish um everything. But I don't yeah. want to like. <laughs> no, no. Final, final warning is the one where they all come together in Ramallah, okay. in the okay. square, and commonplace is, I think, also in Gaza, and it's even worse because the like the borders have been so secured 
that no one can go near it anymore and there is basically a laser system so no soldier ever shoots you but you cross over the border and then if you fall down the laser will already hit you yeah and his sister i think dies no yeah because she went to Uh, close the border yeah yeah because she wanted to pick something right like food or something yeah yeah. Uh, oh that was really disturbing yeah yeah because also like it's so connected to what's happening now because there's no food there's no medicine like everything is getting scarce but he like mm, ah okay so he basically okay he what is he trying to do again in this story he's like in a maze of mines and stuff like that in which one? Like, are we still talking about association or? Common, no, this is commonplace. Commonplace. Wait. No soul area. Oh my god, that word is also. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like no man's land usually, and it's like yeah. no soul area. <laughs> yeah, because I think no soul area can also describe so much because there is still somehow human presence by mm-hmm. watchtowers, so there is presence but there's no kind of like humanity because there is no interaction of any kind ever Mm -hmm. yeah then here i think the guy's a dealer adam oh yeah 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 he is i remember now yes he deals like medicine what does he deal with i forgot he deals grapes Yeah, pay for her grapes themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. I think I, I have to reread. <laughs> I also have to like just reread the last chapters because the first Same. ones I can remember so much, but then Same. the last ones I just yeah. I think yeah, yeah, com- commonplace was not that like it didn't really stay, or I also barely highlighted anything. Like it was interesting. But it was so close to the situation that there is now that you can't go near the border that it didn't seem very futuristic. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, what do you think? Do you want to come back another time and reread these, or do you want to go through them now? Um, what do you two want? I'm fine with both. I honestly have to reread. So I, I mean, I, I just realized I didn't even read the last one, so. The Marvel <laughs> Kid? Yeah, I think I would, I would have to. Yeah, I mean, we can do a, we can do a super short session next time, or like, not super short, but just like. Yeah, maybe half time. an hour or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I actually would like to hmm, maybe wrap up some thoughts, like real quick about all the remaining stories, just so when maybe. I read them again. Yeah, I could kind of have this perspective. Yeah, maybe I think it makes more sense because I think for the book, like three sessions for the book is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did you have any or do you remember the association still? No, not like no. Yeah, so it's just like in the end, it's just this guy um, that hangs out in a lot of bars and cafes where they are, they are claimed to be hangouts for 
like extremists, which is very interesting because now extremists would be the military ones. But then extremists, like in that vision, extremists are the ones that still want to remember history. Mm -hmm. And they still, yeah, the study here, it says 2028 agreement um, by the people of the country was um, forgetting was the best way to live in peace. So the study of the past was forbidden, it says here. And then there's an, they call it the 80 year war before they came to that agreement. So everything is kind of reframed. Um, yeah, and you cannot write about or speculate or even talk about it. And it was well received, so everyone kind of, everyone was okay with it, basically. So the extremists gathered to talk about this. And yeah, so they're kind of speculating about terms. And they have, yeah, so the, basically the extremists still talk about the past and the guy, the protagonist doesn't understand them at all because he's very, he's like a journalist, I think, and he's very, very convinced that they're dangerous extremists. Mm -hmm. And here it says like, they could also be found in public libraries and fancy theaters and opera houses, reputable places. So the, the people who, are, who try to remember become these like, really despise people. And they're trying to like, um, sorry, they're trying to, um, it's like a criminal investigation, right? Because one of them was killed and... No, not really. There's the, the thing is that there is no investigation into it because they don't want was, to know. Yeah. Like they're yeah. all okay with the historian being killed. Um, it was more anthropological, at least that's how I saw it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. How I remember I, um, it. I, yeah. And. Here. Yeah, so basically the journalist, like, um, he starts talking to all of them and they say like to forget is a sin and that they will have to remember one day because he says that people did forget and they're happy and has been successful and the other the older people they all say they will remember it will come up eventually and so his, it ends with him trying to expand the circle of people who are aware who know about what happened yeah, and the circle was a really vivid symbolism, right? That was like left on a napkin, and like there was mm -hmm. always a circle somewhere associated yeah. with these historians. Yeah, because I don't know, how would you interpret the circle? Because the circle is like the symbol, but in the way the the way he talks about it at the end, when you don't have the, the symbol of the circle, like I just didn't have it in mind for a second. And when you don't have it in mind, and you just think about the circle it could also be the circle of extremists like this group yeah but then like thinking of it now i think of the circle of everything you know coming back to where it started so that the circle is basically yeah that history will come like that everything full circle. Will full circle yeah exactly
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the connectivity as well. I mean, history connects us to a lot of things, right? To the present. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. And I, I also, I also think it's such an unrealistic thing to to agree to forget because i mean there's also like like what we have in the us where people talk about the like the i think post-traumatic slave syndrome um where it's kind of like deeply rooted like fear or anger or or what you lean to or how you behave in certain situations so i don't think even if you agree to forget and you try to forget the event it's so much in your behavior that if you forget, you don't understand your own people anymore. Yeah, and it, there's, it, I think there's so much to do with restorative justice that has to do with truth telling and understanding history and like seeing history as a whole and like connecting history. But it has so much to do with like a certain way of, of, of getting justice mm -hmm. that your history is told you know and it is understood and it's not not uh, not what it's called not deleted which is pretty much is i mean how it's been in history in, in really school i mean it's it's forbidden to speak about the nakba or there's a law that uh you cannot get funding for anything to do with the nakba or you know all these things that there's mm -hmm. so much that any justice comes from being able to speak that history. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, it's interesting because it makes you wonder because it says the people of this country, but it's also from a person of a later generation that says the people of this country agreed, but of course it's never every single one of the people. So someone will have to, like a lot of people will get hurt by a law that says they're no longer allowed to speak about, about the injustices done to them. And then if it's only the people of that country, what happens to the displaced, like the ones in exile and the diaspora? Right, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it is, it's funny that he takes like history because I mean, there's a way we can see that history can also be very manipulating and mm -hmm. for the wrong political reason. So you like, first i was like oh maybe this this is actually something you know it's, it's going behind further and it's like mm -hmm. yes you're forgetting so like a certain history that was told right i was like yeah actually that's not bad because the history that's told today um is not the accurate one so maybe forgetting that and starting from scratch it's not a bad idea but then if you if you do that across the board it doesn't work right like yeah Absolutely. So I, yeah, I definitely think that he is right that we have to re, like relearn our history, but forgetting, mm -hmm. like not learning history is not, not an option. Exactly. And also then not only the not learning, but also because that would be passing it on to the next generation, but talking about it with each other amongst like two people who experience trauma and being like, yeah, not being allowed to talk about it anymore is very, yeah, I think counterproductive. Yeah, yeah, and it goes back to the key, I think, because the key goes back to this, this trauma will resurface, you know, at some point, and it will, and it will come back, and that's 
how trauma works, right? If you suppress it your whole life, it comes back eventually. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I think this, this really links the key. I mean, they also suppress everything and, you know, the, the Palestinians just became like these workers for them, the Arabs and mm. the symbol of the history was like the most dangerous thing and forgetting about that or like trying to eliminate that came back to bite them in the ass. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'd say commonplace we skip for now because I also I don't remember it that well. Mm -hmm. That was really dark, I think. Mm. Yeah. <coughs> Selma, do you still remember final warning? Yeah, that was the thing with um with the electricity, right? Being yeah. shut off. Yeah, yeah. Was, and then yeah. like the, the spaceship arriving. Oh wow, I don't think I read this one. There was a spaceship? There was a spaceship. Okay, so basically yeah. it's not just the electricity just time stands completely still. Nothing like time doesn't pass anymore. Nothing happens. This is final one. Yeah, exactly. And the sky gets dark and the perspectives are Sheikh Hassan and Rahel and yeah. Rahel is from a, from a settlement nearby which one? Yeah, it's the Modi'in elite colony or yeah, he called it a colony like the settlement yeah. of the Modi'in elite Yeah Yeah, so basically the and then there's also another person. There's a yeah, priest. There's a guy. Yeah. And there's yeah. also a guy, right? There was this guy trying to comfort Rahel all the way. Like, he's Palestinian. Mm. Mm. Maybe, from, yeah. From what I, I remember, there was this guy comforting her and Isam, was that? Yeah, Isam. And then there's the rabbi. Yeah. Yeah, Isam was like... Isam was a super secular guy. He he didn't believe in doomsday or any of that. So he yeah. looked at it very effectively. And then kind of like the rabbi, the priest, the sheikh came out. Because everyone was in panic mode and they were like, oh, it's doomsday. I think that's, that's where I remember. Yeah. Yeah, but he says to her, which I think is very interesting, Isam says to Rahel, um, it's a matter for the cosmos, but fear not. There will be some resolution to this dark assault. There always is. The history of science fiction tells us. Nobody comes this far without either a fight that they never win, uh, or to teach us something about ourselves that we desperately need to learn. And mm -hmm. then he says that that's basically his theory. Uh, can you not see how trivial our dif uh, how trivial our differences are in the face of such a momentous event? Which is very interesting because like, yeah, to to see that they all come together because there is something bigger, like there is the spaceship. Yeah. yeah. So basically the spaceship just comes in the end and they tell them from like this huge speaker, basically. Oh, yeah. Okay, now I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, so, so like, okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that their struggles on this tiny sector of the planet's surface um, have created like more tension and conflicts beyond its borders even than any other area in the known universe. Um, they're, they're not only continuing to threaten the, the planet's stability, but the wider galaxy's stability even. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually a pretty funny um story in a sense. It started out very dark, but then mm. it was like, oh, you dumbasses. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And then But one thing is very interesting. They say all we request is justice. If you consent, we will re uh, redraw the borders immediately and depart from this world. Yeah. But do they say, wait, did they mention in what ways they redraw the borders? Mm -mm. Which is very, you know, how do you redraw the borders correctly? It's, yeah. But it's also a very <laughs> weird symbol to say in the story that only the alien spaceship is capable of redraw, uh, like, you know, of doing this correctly. Yeah. I mean, it's very, yeah, the, I think that's what makes the story very believable in a way. Yeah, <laughs> which is sure. weird. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you about, like, if you could relate that as well to the Book of Disappearance in a sense where, I mean, the Palestinians are the external enemy that's kind of bringing the Israeli society together, right? despite all of these, I mean, obviously it's not perfect. You have all of these mm -hmm. like uh, Ashkenazi, Mizrahi communities and then the settlers and, but still it's not as bad if it were, if it like were for the, the Palestinians not being here. So I don't know. It's, it's a very far-fetched thought, but it's just mm -hmm. the thought that it's always like, yeah. Like there's always it has to be it has to be something external to create peace, otherwise it would never happen. Yeah, that's true. No, I think so far in the book of disappearance things are taking like a completely different turn, because in a lot of ways the people see more differences with each other now, because mm -hmm. they all accuse each other on the ones like, the ones that befriended the Palestinians and the ones that that didn't and start getting more aggressive to each other because they think they're conspirators of the Palestinians and that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I just thought here that the symbol of having this outsider draw the borders is very dangerous in a way because it can also mean that one has to wait for some other state, some other country, some institution like the UN to come in and draw borders or the US. Or the US, exactly. So for me, it was a bit absurd, that part. Yeah. yeah it almost seemed rushed, you know? He was like, I don't know what to do. Let me just redraw the point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not like that's the actual. I don't think, for me personally, like the drawing of the borders is not so much the problem. Because I mean the borders are redrawn all the time, but that I mean that is one of the problems. But 
who says that just because the border is drawn now by this alien ship, it's not going to get redrawn. It, do it doesn't make everyone equal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Since he could have utilized, uh, was it a he or a she? Talalia, like the whole spaceship thing in the more. Yeah. It's kind of like if you don't make up, we're gonna come back again. And, yeah. yeah. I I think they said that like mm -hmm. we will continue to monitor you from afar. Yeah. But our interference with this world will be over. So like. They literally like okay we're doing this and then we're gonna watch you from afar and if yeah not much else <laughs> yeah. but it's I mean, funny I, I, yeah sorry go ahead no sorry continue no no i just it, i just wanted to say like we said it's funny that it's like it's to protect the wider galaxy from the other yeah yeah and it kind of ends on this sort of cheesy note that they're still like standing on this square in Ramallah and they're holding hands, but they're all leaders. Like that's that's part of the thing that bugs me about this, that it's three religious leaders as if they yeah. really stand for everyone. Because what about the ones that that are so done with everything that they're no longer part of any of the religious groups? Mm. But like, I mean, I think that was Isam's character in a sense, because he was yeah. This, yeah, I mean, Isam was also just this super cheesy, oh, I'm a secular guy who knows a lot about everything. Yeah, type of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, it makes it seem like it's a religious conflict, which it's not. Like, if the religious leaders come together and hold hands, kumbaya, blah, 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 you know? Mm. Like, it's not a religious conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the author, like his background, because, yeah, he's in Gaza. It's also yeah. so interesting, how do you, as a person in, in Gaza, decide to write about, you know, to write about That's Ramallah? Right. Yeah. 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 But Gaza has also been, like, that. I was also thinking the same Thing about Gaza because so many people not from there have decided to um, yeah. write about that. Which also, I think it can also make the image of Gaza very stereotypical because then yeah. it's it has to be what you see in the news because how else would you know? What else do you know? It's so exactly. hard to get anything else on it. Yeah. Especially like I, I was really, um, well, not this but like surprised why nobody mentions other areas in the West Bank because a lot of these people are from the West Bank yet they chose to talk yeah. about Gaza even though I'm pretty sure none of them were actually there. Exactly, exactly. Um, and there's, I mean, for example, this author of um, Final Warning it's super interesting, like his father was in um, Beersheba, basically, like in English. Um, it would be so interesting to hear something about that, because you really don't. And, yeah. Yeah. Or some, someone else was actually from Anatta, which was really funny to me, yeah. Uh, this Anwar Hamid because no one ever says anything about Anatta. Like it's right next it's to Sokarim. You just drive yeah. through it. Yeah. I don't know. 
But also like Anapta has its own, it's very own history, like next to Anapta there's so many old villages and ruins and everything, it could be, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So I think it's very, I mean of course they sell better stories on, on Gaza and Ramallah because it's places people recognize, mm -hmm. I think they're more popular probably, yeah. And then we have, of course, we have the last one, The Curse of the Mud Ball Kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to sign off because I haven't read that one, so, and I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> yeah. Did you reread so. somehow? Okay. Hmm? Bye. Uh, are you going to go? <laughs> okay, bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to find the link. <laughs> okay, there we go. Bye, guys. Bye. Oh. After the case of the Mud Ball Kid. I know you were confused about that. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, long. it's such a long one, yeah. Yeah, but what did you, I mean, yeah, for me it was just this, it, it went back and forth to a lot of scenes, just like there was this love story between mm. his grandma and the guy, the IDF soldier from the, the other side, I guess, the orange trees, there was also this kind of ghost moment yeah i mean basically the there were a lot of weird ghost moments like it's i feel like it's very similar to this um like to this kind of of magical realism where he dies and he stays alive and then somehow his ghost, like even though he's alive, his ghost floats and he sees something beyond the wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, there was also, I have so many scenes about this also relationship between, because they were, yeah, it was, the last Palestinian, this guy in the, in the in the box, and then just also this moment, these moments of intimacy with him watching. Mm. Yeah, I I'm just like questioning this, the, like the author's choice of integrating so many of these elements, like a vir once again this virtual porn star, and then this love story between. Um, was he? He was an agent, right? Like the guy watching over him, and yeah, yeah. But that guy, I mean, in the in the beginning, the guy watching over him was his friend from the orphanage, mm -hmm. right? Which yeah. makes they the were entire, exactly, which makes the dynamic so interesting, because in the beginning he's so much more sympathetic, and towards the end he develops so much hate and like keeps shooting him. Yeah. yeah yeah and there's like so many things what for me really like stayed in my mind was really the the part about eating mud um and this like never never being full this feeling of never being full because i think like it can be transferred to an emotional level so easily mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's just a lot of a lot to uh, unpack in the story. 
Yeah. And since it also relates to the key, this ghost figure of the Palestinian, and then one by one they come come out of the box or what was it? Yeah, it was like a glass shield. Yeah. And they somehow didn't they start like really walking around these ghost figures? Or did they really disappear? So I think like from what I remember it just ended with these ghost figures kind of mm. Yeah, because I think the ghost figures like and it makes everyone terrorized because the ghost figures start going into the places again, like yeah, yeah. haunting I mean, everyone. Haunting, but also in a way it's like return also, like even even with death that like the ghosts return. Mm. Yeah. And here, here it says on 209 um, that the community would turn into an environment that was permanently psychologically damaged. Which I think it, it turns it around so much because there are so many Palestinian communities that are like permanently psychologically damaged. So in a way for me, this is also this kind of like revenge narrative, but not yeah, not as direct as with yeah. the others. Yeah. But the one of the word wordings that I was thinking of is the fact that they're called the Falasta. They're no longer Palestinians. <laughs> and they're all moved to the where did they yeah, so basically they moved them all to the desert, which is such a, yeah, such a crazy idea. What else is there? Um, I think one thing that really fascinated me was this like, but I just interpreted it, like reinterpreted it now because that his the fact that his death would release massive amounts of energy is I think such a symbol for this like continuation of the struggle and also like continuation and like living living with the memory and carrying it all and like carrying the people with you and now he carries all the people so it'd be like so much energy released um, from all the memory that they wouldn't be able to handle it beyond the say like, biological warfare thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean just this whole thing with martyrdom and mm. Yeah, but in a sense like for me I just I was just rooting for the whole thing the whole time. Just mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? The the Palestinian I mean Zayev is the yeah. 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 So it's like it's always like I always find myself found myself thinking. Yes, there's there's this one like there's this ghost that managed to come out of the box or something like that. The the glass cube. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And the, but what's yeah. his name? This is is the guy and then. 
Does yeah, he and then I think he does, but like Eli is the other, Eli is the one that was the killer. Mm -hmm. Ben Moshe, I think that was the grandfather of mm -hmm. Zayev. Hmm. No, I can't find one actually. Oh no, it was a guava tree actually. Very random notice, yeah. but the that's true. Yep. But it's so interesting because the guava is not so symbolic often, I think. Yeah, exactly. That's why like I was thinking. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I don't know if he has a name because it's it's yeah, like because I'm trying to look back at the orphanage, like say if it's an orphan like me. But I think, yeah, I mean, all the Mudball Kid or the last Palestinian, yeah. One thing that's very interesting is that Ben Moshe, the grandfather that came up with this, with this plan with the biological warfare to like destroy them all, um, discovered that there is nothing that will ever stop the these spectral bodies like coming out of the last Palestinian and then he kills himself um, because he like he knows that it will be haunted forever which is very interesting because he doesn't like he doesn't want to not I won't say live with the consequences but it's really finally the point where he realizes that it's impossible to completely get rid of everyone yeah. Yeah, it's also this history aspect once again. Just the fact that it was built on this foundation and mm. even trying to get rid of it, you're not really getting rid of it. It's just because it ends with say of putting him back in the glass cube, but at this point it's too late. Yeah, so he keeps shooting him to gradually release them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it says that um, Yeah, so the, the Falasti are in every town and village all over the all over the place basically. And they completely ignore the kibbutz residents because they can just live through them, sort of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this this thing that Zayef keeps asking all of the children, like, can you prove that they are the ghosts and not us? Because it makes it like makes you question like what is the point of this humanity? Like who is yeah. Yeah. And this, like, this obsession with control of the situation was yeah. very, yeah. It's also this look of disgust. I think it's just, I, I forgot where it was, the part. But when Zayef was also with Miriam in, in this, was it a bunker? Yeah, like they, where were, they kept the, yeah. yeah. 
it's almost like he's always there he never goes away and it's yeah yeah yeah, and it's kind of like this really impatient feeling because it doesn't stop he doesn't stop being there yeah yeah I don't know, I wish he was doomed to fail, not because in the end I would release all the energy stored in my body, but because a single batch of energy only had to remember a single incident that involved a strong emotional sense of injustice. Mm -hmm. That's like on page 202. Because the story also started with stealing the imagination of children, like Palestinian children which once again plays out with this whole memory thing mm. and his sister. And then also, I think not only the, the memory in that sense, but it plays into this thing that was also in the digital nation, like the power of creating utopia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where, where, what was his name? Um, oh, I forgot his name. The um, Shabak director kept wondering about this power to create utopia and where it comes from. Yeah. I don't know, it's still like this holding on to what was before is so, so common in like all of the book because it kind of ends on page 212 um, with the story that Zayf, like every Tuesday of the month, puts a bullet in his right eye, shouting death to our enemies, as if they weren't all dead. Mm. And I think that's the part that really connects for me to Book of Disappearance, to like what happens. Yeah, because in this case, there's only one left, but in Book of Disappearance, there's none left. So there's no one actually to to absorb all this and to become an enemy. So then when this, I don't know, when this idea of having an enemy and always having to work against the enemy is so deeply in inside the mind. Yeah, it's very difficult. Mm. Oh, yeah, it also ends with this, this thing um, where Zayf also says that he's going to keep shooting at the Mudball Kid because um, no matter how exhausted he is, the idea of this robo-microbe mm -hmm. will, will persist. Um, and he has to shoot him until he can steal the idea of the robo-microbe. Yeah. Oh, I don't know, should we just call it a day? I think so, yeah. So,